0: If you need a Bible, why don't you raise your hands and knock over, not knock over the water in front of you. Um, and these guys will pass out a Bible. It's New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st Thessalonians. So it's kind of in the middle of the right. But we're in 1st Thessalonians chapter 5. And last Wednesday, we covered chapter 4, quite a clip. I think we could have done probably four or five messages just on what we talked about uh, last Wednesday. Um, so I encourage you to go back, dig in a little bit more as well yourself. But, um, you know, today we're going to cover the first 11 verses, hopefully, and we'll continue the rest on Wednesday. We'll finish our study through Thessalonians then. But again, just to refresh, uh, Thessalonians, modern times, it's uh city of Salonika in Greece still exists today, which I think is pretty crazy because, you know, America, how old is our cities? You know, a couple hundred years, but this is thousands of years old and lots of history there. It's very interesting to me. Uh, It's sort of considered a co-capital as you might consider New York to D.C. You know, when people think of New York, they think of... When they think of America, excuse me, they think of New York. You know, uh, D.C. may not be the first one on that list. Uh, It was a rich city, a port city in modern times and back then too. Uh, But it's not really rich anymore. Uh, There was youth riots there a few years ago. uh, And Greece is now in a serious financial crisis. Greece is going through a lot of trouble. They're trying to turn to the EU, and the EU does not want to bail them out. Germany doesn't. They're calling in their debt. So keep your eyes on Greece, because it may be a model for what we may see in our future. But in ancient times, uh, it was a very similar city, 200,000 inhabitants, which is about the population of Orange County today, which doesn't sound like a lot, but back then that was a lot of people, uh, considering all the things that go into a major city, and they didn't have electricity, they had running water and horses and things. But it was on the main Roman east-west interstate, and it was a major station for the empire. So this is a serious city. This is a big city. I think a lot of times, we don't think that God can work in the city. We don't think that God can work in populated areas, or maybe we don't think that God can work in America. You know, I tell you otherwise, he can. It starts in the big city. He reaches where there's a lot of people, and then it explodes and reaches out into the country. You know, This church was birthed out of the sadness and the tragedy that happened when New York was struck on September 11, uh, 2001. Pastors got together. Some cops got together. Pastor Owen came up and started the church up here a few years later or the same year. And it's grown. And other churches have been grown out here, out in the country because of something that happened in a major city. It's probably good to be a country bumpkin, you know, but it's a little cheaper to live. But really, God can work in a city. God can work in a heathen city. God's working down in Bethesda where God's called my family and I. But he can work up here just as well through you guys. Don't sit around and say, God can't use me, God can't fix my city, God can't fix my country, because he can. He did already. But it was a church that was started by Paul, Silas, and Timothy. These three guys who were out there, sold out for the gospel, went, started the church, people got saved, people got plugged in and grew up and began to grow, and these guys could move on. I think that that's what's awesome about it, is that as we grow together as a body, you guys are the church. You don't need to be dependent on one leader or several leaders. You're dependent on the Lord, and as you depend on the Lord, he raises you up to be the leadership. And I look around, and I see everyone in here. I know everyone in here. God is called, and God wants to use, not in a a rough way, go mow my lawn, and I'm not going to pay you, but really, he wants to use you to bless you and make you uh, an even stronger part of the church. But this letter is probably the earliest surviving letter of Paul to the churches. It was written around... Eighty fifty one. So, only a few decades after the Lord uh, died on the cross and ascended into heaven. So, Father, would you bless our study? Would you instruct us again, we pray, by your spirit, through your wonderful word. Help us to take home these things and to apply them. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of today's message, if I gave it right to James, is the, the day of the Lord. Verse 1. Chapter 5. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as the thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. Stop there. It says, but concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. And again, we see Paul talking to the Thessalonians saying, you guys know this stuff already. You guys are educated in this. You're aware of what's going on around you politically. And I think the same thing can be said about us. As I look around, I see people who are strong in the Lord, who know the Bible, who are aware of what's going on in the world and don't necessarily have our heads in the sand. And that's important as a believer that we're aware of what's going on around us, spiritually, physically, emotionally, and our family and friends, obviously, but also geopolitically. Because as we watch these things come together that have never come together before, we can look in the scripture and say, oh, God said that Iran and Russia would be allied. God said that there would be a major army without number coming from the Far East. God said that they would try and make a peace treaty in Israel. I don't see America anywhere in Revelation necessarily, depending on where you stand on that doctrine. So something must happen to us. If we're a world power now and everything else is lining up, well, what's going to happen? Now, I'm not going to stand up here and say, on December 5th, 2008, you know, well, that already happened, so obviously I can't say that. But (laughs) maybe. How do we know our calendar is right? Who set the watch? But I'm not going to tell you what day the rapture is. I'm not going to tell you what exactly is going to happen to America because I don't know. I don't even know what's going to happen to myself this afternoon. I don't even know what I'm having for lunch, let alone what's going to happen to America. But what I can say is that as I look at the news and as I look at Scripture and as I spend time with the Lord, I go, there's not much time left. And I think you guys could say the same thing As well, and he says, "But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you." And I like that he says the times and the seasons because this phrase shows up in other parts of Scripture. Uh, In Matthew chapter 24, we're going to hit that real quick because we're only covering 11 verses in Thessalonians, so I can spend a lot of time elsewhere, right? (laughs) Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. If you have red letter Bible, all of this section will be read because these are the direct words of Jesus. And he says, Matthew 24, verse 36, But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. I live somewhere. It's not my house. I've been living from house to house, <laughs> vagabond style, you know, mooching off of family because they've offered it. I didn't ask. But I would still be aware if someone was breaking into the house at night. You know, if I heard some kids on the street and they said, we're going to break into that house tomorrow night, I'd probably be a little aware. I'd probably call the cops. But I'd probably be a little aware. And, you know, maybe I'd sit up. Maybe if you had kids who would sneak out, you know, you might sit up in the, in the easy chair in the living room and wait for them to come home with the lights off. They're coming in, and you're like, where were you? <laughs> I never, that ha- never had that happen to me or anything. But <laughs> <hey>. <laughs> but really, if you knew someone was going to break into your house, you'd probably stay up. Some of you might even you know, start putting sandbags out front and get the machine gun turret going. I don't know. You're not getting in here. <laughs> I worked hard for that TV. I don't know what you're going to say. But for things like that, we would watch. And it's interesting that Jesus brings up the days of Noah, something that is very contested these days. What is the flood, a global flood? Did it really happen? Was there a guy? Oh, that's impossible how many animals there are. Believe me, it's possible. It happened. It's obvious. All the signs point to it. We won't get into a Grand Canyon. It's going upriver. All the sediment, all these other things that are proof. Plus, you don't need that. Jesus just said, as in the days of Noah were. If Jesus said it, I'm going to believe it. Sorry, Stephen Hawking. You're very smart, but Jesus is smarter. But he says something very interesting, that as the days of Noah were, so awesome is something of the coming of the Son of Man be, that Noah is a symbol of what happened, that the earth was sinful and wicked, and Noah was righteous. God said something to Noah. Noah believed it, and that's why he was righteous. Noah wasn't necessarily perfect, but he believed God for what he said. Noah, there's going to be a flood. God, there's not even a lake around here. Noah, it's going to rain. What's that? (laughs) Noah, build a boat. you got got 100 or so years, 120 years, I think it was. Okay. He gets his kids. Dad, I don't want to build a boat today. I don't even know what a boat is. They, They probably knew what boats were, but he's building the boat. He builds this giant boat. Everyone laughs. Everyone mocks. They're probably getting married down the street. They see the boat in the background. They get together for the family photo in front of the boat. You know, look, look at that. The guy's building a boat. That's crazy. Perfect place to throw a wedding. You know, maybe Noah you know, <laughs> charges him to use his lawn. I don't know. But they kept doing what they thought was right. They didn't think judgment was coming, they thought nothing bad was going to happen to them. And all the while, Noah's building a boat, getting that tar and stuff together. Noah probably goes into town. He's still got tar on his face. He doesn't realize it. But he's covering the boat. The door's open. All these animals start coming. You know, you're hanging out one day on your porch on a Saturday, drinking some lemonade. A couple of elephants walk by. A Few more because there was really seven. It wasn't just two. There's seven of the clean and several of the unclean. But all these animals keep walking by. They're like what about poodles and Great Danes? Well, one dog could have come, and then breeding happens and everything. So there, you know, it doesn't have to be every type of frog. It'd be one type of frog. <laughs> Eventually, you get other frogs, but you never get a cat. <laughs> Still a frog. All these animals get on. What about dinosaurs? Well, dinosaurs were babies once. <laughs> Maybe that's where, I don't know. Maybe alligators, I don't know. I wasn't there. But all the animals got on the boat. It starts to rain a little bit. There's this funny story, the Bible story I read my daughter about Noah, and she loves it, but uh, it was written by Chuck Smith. <laughs> and it, the picture is like, you know, he talks about like a, a drop of water hits on one guy's head, and the other guy turns around and goes, who spit on me? <laughs> I love it. It's like, so good. But anyway, so it starts to rain. People are going, what's going on? I didn't buy, you know, rental insurance for this. God shuts the door on the ark. People bang on the door, but it's too late. Floods, the, the world is wiped out. All the other animals are wiped out. No and his family are saved through the ark. Through the ark. But God says it's going to be very similar in the last days. That people are going to be giving in marriage. And boy, are we giving in marriage these days to everyone and anyone who wants to get married. They can get married. We're having parties. We're doing whatever we want. We think judgment's not coming. We make movies about it. We joke about it. Asteroids are coming or whatever. But we feel we can do whatever. We can change our laws. We can upend everything. What's right is wrong. What's wrong is right. And then here we are, going to church on Sunday, reading our Bible. We show up, maybe not like Ash Wednesday, like the Catholics do with ash on our face, but we've got the tar of God's work on our life. You know, our life maybe looks a little different than someone else's life because we've been busy about the Lord's business. And then what happens? We go in the ark, and judgment comes. Except God's gracious this time. When he raptured us, as we're going to see, he still leaves the door open for salvation while it's raining. Fire and brimstone. Because God is gracious. But it's interesting that he says that that no man will know the hour. You know, if you knew what hour the thief would be there, you would, you know, you'd you you'd know, be up at 2 a.m. if you knew he was coming at 2 a.m. But he says in the last verse, the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. We're talking about times, we're talking about seasons, and we're talking about hours. Jesus says, you won't know the hour. But you might have a pretty good idea about the times and the seasons. Not the time like 3.15 p.m., obviously, but really, well, it kind of looks like what's going on in the world. It's starting to line up. There's not really much left for him to come back, so... There's not too much left to be built in the church. A lot of people have heard about Jesus. The gospel's gone out. All that's left is to get on the boat. And so Jesus says we can know the, the, the times and the seasons. You know, he says he even rebukes the religious people today for knowing what, when rain and snow are going to come because of the way the sky looks. He says, but you, you can't determine what's going on spiritually. How can you be so separate in those things? Acts 1, 6-9 says, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom into Israel? Are you going to set up your kingdom on earth now, Lord? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come unto you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when they had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Well, wait a minute. He just said that you can't know the times or the seasons. Well it's true. You can't say with definite possibility that this is the season that Jesus is coming back in and that this is the time that he's coming back in. So many people have tried to claim that and they've been wrong. People have sold their inheritance or their, quit their jobs. Woohoo! Jesus come back next week. I'm quitting, I'm running up that credit card. <laughs> no. If you do buy me something. But <laughs> not a jet though. But sorry, I gotta dig on those. Guys out there who are doing that. But really, you know, we're to live in, a, in an age of expectancy saying, this looks like it could be the time. This looks like it could be the season. I'm ready to go. Because when it does start to rain, that judgment, I don't want to be here. And I don't have to be here because God rained that judgment already. But I think like a lot of us, we wait to go out and get the milk and bread until our, after the snow starts coming down. <laughs> You know, oh, no, I need milk and bread. The snow's coming. Thankfully, there's no more snow. Hopefully, even though it's been cold. You know, I went down to Maryland the other day. I'm like, why did you come? You brought this cold weather with you. (laughs) I'm like, literally, I was getting Dunkin' Donuts in New Jersey, and my sunroof was open. I got back in the car, and I am putting the straw in, and all this snow came through the sunroof. I was like, what is this? I'm getting out of here. (laughs) But Daniel 2.20 through 22 says, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. It says that God can even change the times and seasons. In fact, John talks about in uh, the Bible that the Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist, is already in the world. It's not anti, like opposite. It's instead of. And look at the world today. You know, even that Darwin uh, bumper sticker fish that's out there, it's instead of Christ, guys. It's a little Darwin fish that says Darwin with feet and legs. It's mocking Christianity on purpose because Darwinism wants to replace Christianity as your religion. I'm not up here to debate science with you. I'm saying that that system as a whole wants to remove your morality, say that there is no God above you, that you are God, You evolved from a monkey, so go ahead and act like a monkey. And do we expect anything less? But God says, you are not a monkey. You are made in God's image, and I made you separate from the animals because I put my spirit in you. You are not a monkey. You may act like one. The youth group on Friday were taking bananas apart with their feet, and the guys who I thought were most monkey-like got worst, and the girls got the best job. Maybe it's from painting their toenails. I don't know. (laughs) But you're not a monkey, my friends. Maybe Harry, but you're not a monkey. And there is accountability. And that's what the world says today that there is no moral accountability. Whatever you want to do, you can do. And we're saying there is accountability and he's going to hold us accountable for this soon get on the boat. And the world goes, "No way." But it's true, guys. Jesus says a thief in the night. Who does Jesus say is the thief in the Bible? Satan says, the thief does not come except to kill, steal, and destroy. And that's what the world wants to do to you. It wants to kill your faith. It wants to steal your inheritance. And it wants to destroy your life. I can do whatever I want. There's no God. And look at the stuff you get involved in. There is a God. I need to be held accountable to him. And look at the stuff you get to be a part of. There's a difference there, guys. Don't let the world fool you. Be in the Bible. Know what it says. Because the time is coming. The time is coming. Verse 3 here in Thessalonians says, For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. They say that there is peace and safety. I think you could read this in two ways. They say peace and safety. You know, that there's a false peace. Hey guys, we have peace. We have safety. You know, we can go to the mall. You don't need the Second Amendment. You don't need whatever. You don't need... You know, whatever they're selling you, peace and safety. You can go out and live this lifestyle and no danger is going to happen to you. Peace and safety. We don't need to worry about what's going on in other parts of the world. We can just do whatever we want. Peace and safety. Or maybe they're crying out for it, crying out for that false peace. Give us peace, give us safety, take away our rights. Give us peace. Give us safety any other way but the cross. Give us peace with God because there is no God. So then we have peace with God over our sin. Give us safety. Give us the rights we want so that we can rationalize our sin. They're crying out for peace and safety in the world today. They've just been crying out like no other. You know, I got to visit uh, a military base in Maryland the other day. So I have a friend who works there. Oh, my word. <laughs> I found out more stuff about the government in the past few days than I ever wanted to know, and it's true, and it's scary. They're crying out peace and safety with their big dishes and computer systems. I'm going, man, I don't know. I don't really feel more safe now. I feel less safe. You know, Stephen Hawking said, aggression is the human race's biggest failing, and it threatens to destroy us all. I would agree with that. Stephen Hawking said, "Using people to be," uh, he said, "urging people to be more empathetic." The article said, he says that aggression is the human race's biggest failing, and it threatens to destroy us all. So let's stop being so aggressive. Let's just have peace. Let's just have safety. And I get that because he realizes, in some sense, that there is a problem, and that problem is not aggression in the outward. It's deeper. It is sin, and people want peace and safety because we have unbridled sin in our society. With unbridled sin comes unbridled unsafety. <laughs> comes danger and war and everything that goes along with that. So when people begin to say that, what does the Bible say? Watch out. Watch out. You know, the Bible says that um, you know bef- uh, someone who's prideful or haughty, well, when you act that way, you're going to fall because you're up in the air and you're not realizing what you're tripping over. And that's what the world is doing right now. They're crying out for peace and safety, but they're crying out to the wrong God for that. So when the wrong God answers their prayer for peace and safety... Watch out. Or when the right God says, okay, I'll let you have it. And let's go on. Verse 4. But you, brethren, that's you and me, are not in darkness. Even if you don't know Jesus, you're hearing the word of God right now, which is like a spotlight of truth. He says, you're not in darkness so that this day, capital D, should overtake you (laughs) as a thief. God bless you. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. He says, but you, brethren, are not in darkness. Darkness is night blindness, blindness, ignorance, you know it's light in here. You can all see me. I can all see you. We can see each other. We're not in darkness right now. I carry a flashlight with me most times, and it's funny. I never thought I would need a flashlight, and then I watched a video about flashlights. I was like, "Oh, I could use a flashlight." So now I'm like all about flashlights. And you'd be surprised at how many. At first, I was like making up stuff to do with it. I'm like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> whoa, that's cool. I can see that far. I can get, you know, I can blind my friends as they drive up. You know, <laughs> you know, it strobes. Very cool. Um, You know, I have it part so that I, you know, if I'm doing something or if I need to look somewhere in my car or around here or anywhere, it's 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 so handy. It's so handy. I don't, you know, I've missed out a lot of my life carrying a flashlight. (laughs) But I get the real bright one because the brighter they are, you can actually stun people with it, and it's also a self defense thing. I've actually, I think uh, someone was coming around the corner one night when we were locking up the church, and I was shining the light and I showed it around him in the face. He's like, ah. But, uh, so, be careful where you shine that light, right? But really, we're not in darkness right now. But spiritually, are we in darkness? Do we know what the Bible says? Do we know what the Bible says about the times that we're living in? Are you in darkness? The Bible doesn't say this stuff. Well, yes, it does. Have you even read through the whole Bible? I encourage you, just read through it. I'm not saying read through it this weekend, but just... Make an effort to get through the whole thing, even the boring stuff like numbers and Leviticus and all this stuff. You know, I joke with the people down in Bethesda. We're going to start out in in (laughs) we're going to start out in Leviticus. (laughs) We're going to start in Acts. You know, because I figure if we're starting a church, excuse me, we should start with the book that talks about the church starting. You know, if we started in Leviticus, we'd have all sorts of weird things going on right away. (laughs) I am sure the weird will come. But really, we should not be in darkness. We should not be ignorant about what the Bible says about things and about what's going on around us egypt was darkened as a plague when pharaoh kept hardening his heart and not letting god's people go god eventually sent darkness on them they could not see and it was a plague and i think that we're pretty close in modern society to a plague of darkness yeah we have all sorts of lights great flashlights and you know night you go to new york city at night and it feels like it's daytime you know and you're in times square it's like beaming you're getting a tan from all the neon and everything but the world is in darkness and Jesus said, man, if that, if that light that you have is really darkness, how deep will that darkness be? The world thinks it has light. The world thinks it's enlightened. But man, is it darkness? And it's a deep darkness. You don't need me to tell you that. You read the news. You see it in your friends' lives, in your family's lives, and maybe even in your own life as you go through things. But also when Jesus died on the cross, the world was darkened. God said, you guys just killed the light of the world. That's Darkness. You know, I think about uh, these persecuted churches that uh, Jeff and Renee were sharing about. These guys maybe have one page of the Bible and they know the whole thing inside and out. I, I don't know probably enough verses to fill a whole page of the Bible. It's tiny print. Two sides, onion paper. But they know it. They're not in darkness. They may be in darkness politically. They may actually be in darkness in a prison cell somewhere, but they know what the Bible says. Man, do I need to know what the Bible says? Do we need to know what the Bible says? Because out in the world and and it's dark but i ask you and I ask me what is darkening our world we know it's darkening the world out there sin and things but what's darkening our world is there maybe even sin in our life or maybe are we just we're not in sin but there's so much sin going on around us that we can't make heads or tails of what people are telling us are they lying to me are they telling the truth what is it (laughs) well the news we all know they're lying to us but really what's darkening our world maybe you have decisions to make and you don't know which way to go i don't know but psalm one nineteen one oh five says your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path the bible is our spiritual flashlight guys when we're walking around we don't know what to do when i don't know what to do in a decision which is a lot because i'm pretty dumb We pray. My wife and I pray, God, where do you want us to move? What do you want us to do? How do we do this? And as we don't just go through and flip through the Bible and say, oh, what verse? It's as we go in our devotional time, God will make a little light click on. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, I never thought of that before. Or even more specifically, one verse will light up and hit you in the face and go, okay, yeah, I definitely should or should not be involved in whatever it is I'm praying about. But really, if we're believers, and we each have this flashlight in our pocket and probably on our phone, and in our glove box, and on four shelves at home. Should we be in darkness at all? Do we have any excuse to be in darkness? In this day and age, when Bibles are so free, where there's how many different apps to the Bible, and how many translations there? It's easy, guys. It's easy. But it's easy to be distracted as well. We live in a very distracting world. And I don't want to be in darkness. It's hard to being in darkness. You know, I remember... Working at, I was working at one company, and I'm weird, if you didn't know that already. But there were a couple times, like, I was just really kind of considering what it was like to be blind, and I would try and find my way to the bathroom with my eyes closed. You know, no one was around, I was out to lunch, so it was kind of the floor was kind of empty, and I'm like, nope, that's the office. <laughs> and then when I got in the bathroom and my eyes were closed, I said, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> I can't imagine the hard life that that must be. To not have sight. And rely on a cane or a dog or someone else. Because what do you even know? Like when I go to the public restroom, I'm like, you know, opening the door. (laughs) Like I've been going to a lot of rest stops lately on my travels. And it's like, I don't want to touch a thing. (laughs) But imagine, you know, you're blind. You're going to touch everything. And God doesn't want it to be that way for us. We're believers. We have the light. And in fact, the light dwells within us. So let's not walk in darkness. Let's not be ignorant to what the Bible says and to what the Bible says is going on around us and in our lives. And if we're believers and if we're walking in the light, our worldview should be different. Those who are in darkness are going to act like they're in darkness as we'll see in a minute. And those who are in light are going to act like they're in the light. You're going to realize, I'm not touching that. And the guy in dark like, what's wrong with this? I can eat out of that. Uh, You don't want to eat out of that. I can see what that is. So we should be different. The things that we spiritually get involved in, the things that we partake of just day to day, not that we're going to avoid the world completely. Paul says that's impossible, but that we should be different. There should be a marked difference in our life. No, I'm not going to go see that movie. No, I have no interest in that music. It's like when people ask me about music sometimes, I'm like, I don't know who that is. <laughs> I haven't listened to pop music in years. And that's not to put it off like, oh, I don't listen to music and I don't do that, but really... I know it's darkness, I know it's dirty, and I just I don't want anything to do with it. You know, the Bible says that we're sons of light. We are sons of the day. First John 1 John 1.5 says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. The God we serve, the God we love, the God that died on the cross for us will not lie to you and me. There's God's in other religions, and religions, this isn't religion, but in, in religions around the world that say, God can change his mind. God's going to lie to you if he has to lie to you. Not our God. He always says the same thing. He says the same thing to David. says the same thing to Abraham. says the same thing to Noah. He says the same thing to you and me. And that's something that's been blowing my mind lately, is that this Bible really is for me. When we read this, we can go, God really wants me personally To know what this says for my life you know i think a lot of times we come to church we come to christianity and in a sense it's this inferiority complex i guess maybe i mean i'm no psychologist but we come in and we think oh it's for somebody else or i'm not good enough or god would never love me that way maybe it's not an outward thought maybe you don't journal that but maybe that's where your heart is and that's the way you feel when you come to worship oh I could never be used by God for that. Oh, you know, when I worship God, I won't really be in his presence. Or when I read the word, maybe he won't really speak to me. No. God wants to speak to you. He gave us the Bible, and in fact in America, I think he wants to speak to us very loudly because we have so many Bibles. We have so many good ministries out there. God's like, "Wake up! Wake up, please." But there's no darkness in God. You know, if you want to see the light, just go to Jesus. He will light up your life. I know that's kind of cliche, but really, He will light up your life. You know, we are sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of night or of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep, verse 6, as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night but let us who are of the day, verse 8, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. You know, sleep, we kind of touched on it a little bit last week about this idea of like soul sleep, and I, you know, if we had more time, we probably would have got into it. But really, God was saying that when people die, he used the word, term sleep because it's as easy for God to raise up someone from the dead as it is for you to perhaps wake someone up from sleep. That to God, death isn't is isn't the thing like it is to us, where we spend billions of dollars trying to beat death with medicine. But to God, he just goes, Awake, Lazarus, come forth. Take that thing off your face. <laughs> it's easy for him. And I think we forget that too, even when we come to church. When we sing those lyrics. This stuff, it's easy for God to fix our lives. That doesn't necessarily mean that the situations in life are going to be changed, but our life may be fixed in spite of those situations. Your perspective may be immediately changed about that perspective. And it may need continual changing, especially in hard times. But it's easy for God to handle these things. But it says that, let us not sleep. You know, when people sleep, they're out. You know, they're probably drooling. You know, I had a friend in high school who would fall asleep on the desk in history class, and it would be like the Great Lakes. <laughs> You know, I, you know, we all, I, I drool. I'll admit it. But really, they're out. Are you out spiritually? You know, sometimes it's late and I'll read the Bible and, you know, my head will hit the Bible on the bed if it's real late. Sometimes that'll happen. But really, spiritually, are we out? Are we sleeping? Are you sleeping right now in my message? How dare you sleep? No. <laughs> That's okay. If you're sleeping now, I don't blame you. <laughs> I'd be sleeping too if it wasn't Sunday. But... <laughs> Are we asleep? Are we not aware of what's going on around us? Is the house burning down around us spiritually? You know, like the old cartoons. Or it says drunkenness. You know, when do most people get drunk? Nighttime, right? You know, sometimes people are like, I'm not going to have a drink. It's not even 5 p.m. Maybe some people, it's not even 10 a.m. People like to drink. I used to like to drink before I got saved. and I got saved. I'm like, it's pointless. It's pointless. It's pointless. We won't get into that, but, you know, people drink, drink at night, they get drunk at night, wild parties, overnight, bars, clubs, it's all dark. You know, you rarely go to a club where the lights are bright. I don't think anyone would get a date. (laughs) Oh, I'm going home. (laughs) I just remembered I have to do my sock laundry. (laughs) People like to hide their sin. We like to hide our sin, and we don't like light being shown on it. Maybe that's why we don't go to certain churches that teach the Bible. Maybe that's why we tune out in a message when it starts to hit home. Maybe that's why we don't read the Bible as much for ourselves. I find in my life, when I find myself not reading the Bible as much, I go, oh, wait a minute, let me take a check. What's wrong with my heart? What's wrong with my heart? You know, roaches and bugs. Uh, Thankfully, I don't live in Florida. I hope to never move to Florida. To me, it's the mullet of America. Pastor Owen, if you're listening, but... (laughs) But really, it's just because I don't like the heat. But there's roaches down there, big bugs. I remember going on mission trips in the Bahamas. It's like giant bugs. I'm like, I don't want to look under there. If I don't know, (laughs) it's okay. But they like the dark. And the same thing with sin. People like the dark. When you're a criminal, you don't generally go out and do it in broad daylight unless you're totally brazen. You do it in the middle of the night like a thief. You sneak in in the middle of the night. No one's home. or They're sleeping. They're out sleeping and the thief breaks in. Steals all your stuff. You wake up and... You know, the rims are off your car. You know, the rims are off your bed and you're just on the ground. You know, the air mattress is deflated. I don't know. But really, John three twenty through 21 says, For everyone practicing evil hates the light. They hate it. And does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they may have been done in God. And we wonder why the world hates the Bible, hates Christianity right now. It's because they do darkness and they hate the light. If you're doing something wrong in the dark and you're trying to get away with it and someone flips on the light, you know, if you're a criminal and you've got your new criminal buddy with you who's never really been on a crime spree with you before and you're like cracking the safe and he flips on the light, you're like, what are you doing? Shut it off. They're going to see us. I don't know. I've never been on a crime spree. But maybe, maybe you guys have. Maybe some of you can speak better to that. But it's the same way. They're going to say, turn off the light. Don't tell me about the Bible. The Bible's wrong. It's crazy. You're crazy. Am I? Yes. But the Bible's true. It says that those who do the truth come to the light that their deeds may be clearly seen. When we're believers, we like coming to church. And when we haven't really sinned crazily one week, we're like, yes, I'm coming to church. I can raise my hand and worship. And then when we sin, we kind of sink in the back. Sneak out the back. I hope no one sees me. But you don't have to be that way. If you've had a horrible week and you know it, praise God, He wants you to know it. He wants you to be forgiven. If you come in and think you haven't had a horrible week, maybe we need to check ourselves. (laughs) Maybe we all kind of need to walk in. I hope no one sees me. They see the argument I had with my wife. or they see how I was on the highway. That's not me. That's you. That's me. (laughs) But really, and then when we come and spend time with the Lord and we get ministered, hopefully, by the Word, when we go out, we should be like, yes. Even after that first song, you should be, yes, I can worship God. But he says that we need to be sober. We need to be sober. We won't get into the topic of alcohol. It's a touchy one. But we will for a second. (laughs) Because the, the Bible says that we're kings and priests. And the Bible says that it's not for kings and priests to be given over to wine. Now, I'm not going to tell you whether to drink or not to drink. What I'm going to tell you is, where's that line? Where's that line? And as a believer, if you need to be sober, you know, it's like, if you need to be sober, where's the line? And you're going to drink? You know, it's like, if you've got to pick up your kids from school, maybe it's not the best time. But spiritually, it's the same way. You know, if if there's a cops, you know, if you were expecting the cops to come help you out, and they were to have a, a, a couple beers, and they're like, oh, well, we won't get a call for another two hours. And then they finish that last beer and then they get the call to come rescue you. And they walk in and they're like, can I, uh, stop robbing him. <laughs> you know? the Criminal's like, forget you, man. Takes his gun. It's the same way spiritually with us. Whether we're drunk physically or drunk spiritually, we don't know when that call is going to come to minister to someone. Maybe it's not wrong to have that beer, but what if, what if God calls you to minister to someone and you can't? You can't. Was it, is it worth it? Is it worth it? But even more, to be sober spiritually. And what I mean by that is a lot of us walk around and we talk a lot of Christianese. I've been there and done that. Or we're very zealous. But that zeal hasn't been tempered with knowledge. And so we're walking around and we're really oblivious to the truth of the matter. We're spouting out the gospel to somebody and we're not realizing that, wow, maybe they need a hug right now. Maybe they need me to just be their friend. And we're saying, judgment is coming. And they've obviously already understood that by the countenance on their face. So let's not walk around and be drunk and be crazy and don't even get even crazy or drunk in the spirit like some people think. God is not going to make you out of control. I could go off, you know, pet doctrine and we want to get this message done in four hours. So we want to be sober. We want to be sober spiritually. Be careful what you're drinking. You know, this is grape juice. This isn't wine, but are we drinking of this? He also says to put on armor because the days are dark. You know, if I was a soldier, I wouldn't want to be drunk if I had to go out on a, a field raid somewhere. If I had to go out and scout out enemy territory, or if I didn't know where the enemy was, I'd want to be very sober, more sober than the enemy, so that when they come to shoot me, I could shoot them, or I could run away before they could see me. But I'd also want to have armor on. And Ephesians six eleven through eighteen says, "Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil." And again, like Paul, I feel like I'm just preaching to the choir. You guys know this area of scripture. taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. It's a great area of Scripture to study and really kind of consider and meditate on what those pieces are and how we apply them in our lives. But for time, we won't go there. Other than to say that we need to make sure we're putting on our armor, guys, as listed here. It is dark outside. We need more than a flashlight. We need our our armor, and we need our weapons because we live in a dark world. We live in a dark time when it's so dark out, you could probably get sucker punched and not even realize it because it's right in front of your face. And so you need to be ready at all times out there to stand our ground. You know, God wants us to be sober. He wants us to be awake. And he wants us to be armed spiritually to the teeth. Verse 9. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. Verse 9, he says, you're not appointed to wrath. You're not appointed to it. The Bible is very clear. God did not want you to to experience God's wrath. Super clear in the Gospels. Jesus took on God's judgment and God's wrath. So if Jesus took it, and Jesus, being God, was killed by it and could barely get through it, why would he want you and me to do that? What would be the point of crucifying Jesus under God's judgment and wrath if he wanted you and me to experience God's judgment and wrath? And I think we put God's judgment and wrath on ourselves sometimes when we don't need to. We walk around like, man, I'm horrible. I'm horrible. Yes, you are. I am too. But God loves you. You don't need to beat yourself up. You need to be real about your sin. You need to be sober about your sin. But we don't need to beat ourselves up. We're free in Jesus. You're free to live the Christian life. You don't need to be bound down by emotions or by thoughts or by your past if you brought them to the cross. If you are, bring them. Bring them. I could list a million and one things, for reasons for me not to be up here, a million and one. But God says, none of them count. You do it. I could sit around like last night. I was getting it was a little late, and I'm going, this is crazy. I can't believe we're moving. You know, all the final steps are coming in. I'm going, why would God want to do this? And I just got to keep going in faith. God, for some reason, God has a sense of humor, and he's smarter than me. So in His plan, there must be some crazy reason to use my wife and I down there. I don't get it. It's funny to me. <laughs> I go down there, and people are like, hey, pastor. And I'm like, you can call me, Tim. You don't know me. But sincerely, all of us, God has not appointed to wrath. And if he's not appointed us to wrath, that means he's appointed us for something better. He's given you grace and freedom to be who he's made you to be. You don't need to be ashamed to be yourself. Now, it doesn't mean you don't need to be ashamed of your sin. You need to bring that to the Lord and let him deal with it. It's not an excuse for sin. You know, the world wants to be free in who they are, But it's impossible because they're bound up in sin. But you and I can be who God wants you and I to be. Maybe God wants you to have a mohawk. Maybe God wants you to ride a motorcycle because you like motorcycles. Maybe God wants you to wear a three-piece suit and be an accountant because you just like numbers. That's okay. You don't have to look like me. I don't have to look like you. But spiritually, we should all be equally free. You know, Revelation and Tribulation. You know, when we read the book of Revelation... And we see the seven years of tribulation that come upon the earth. Just like God didn't want Noah to go through the flood, God doesn't want us to go through the tribulation. And God can't build us a bunker big enough to withstand what's going to happen in those seven years. You know, a lot of people, it says that the mountain, people are going to cry out for the mountains to collapse on them. Maybe they're in bunkers. Maybe they're just in the mountains and they want the mountains to kill them because they're so sick of the judgment that's coming on the earth. And yet they still won't repent. But God's saying, it's so bad, I can't build you an ark this time. I'm going to take you off of planet earth. You know, there's that song that says, we have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. That's not true. You and I have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the blood of the Lamb only. It's the tribulation saints, those who get saved in the tribulation that say, we have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony because we have to say our testimony to prove our salvation during this time of tribulation. It's a different time. Age of grace is over. We are forgiven. We're in heaven by grace and grace alone. I don't need to go out and share the gospel to be saved. They need to prove that their testimony is true. We're saved. I sing it. I'm saved by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. Because the Bible talks about Jesus' testimony being the testimony that we're saved by. And I'm not trying to lay a trip on you, but I'm trying to make a point that we're saved by grace alone. But in that time, man, you're saved, but you're probably going to have to admit it to your death. Here, you have the freedom to stand up and say, I accept you, Jesus. Then, I accept you, Jesus. What? You accepted God and not the Antichrist? They'll want to kill you. And they already do. They already do. ISIS is dragging out Christians left and right for massive killings. Just because they're Christians. Now, I don't know if they're you know religious Christians or if they're born again, but they claim the name of Christ and they're not Muslim and they're dragged out. Are you ready? Am I ready? I don't know. I don't know if they came in here. If I'd be ready for that. Or Lot's family. Lot. God, I love God because he always has to come down and make sure that things are going the way they are. God knows in, in his omniscience, and he's heard reports of how bad the city of Sodom and Gomorrah is, but he kind of comes down and says, you know, I kind of have to see these accusations for myself. And he goes and sees that they're true. The angels come to Lot's house to get Lot's family to come out. And Lot's wife turns around. She's saved from what's coming, the judgment is coming, and she goes like this. And those nuclear fires of God are burning and she turns into a pillar of salt, like God said. We can't be half hearted, guys. Especially in the last days. If you're half hearted, if you're lukewarm, like God says, if I'm lukewarm, we're gonna die. Especially like when the attacks come, like Jeffrey and I were sharing about, when all hell breaks loose in your life, physically and spiritually. You're gonna want to turn back. There's times when I've wanna turn back and I go, wait, I got no place else to go. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. You know, Christ died that we might live with him no matter our earthly fate. You and I can survive until we die in our sleep maybe one day. We can live until we're raptured or we could die in a car wreck or be beheaded by ISIS. And we all have the hope of heaven in us. Each of us, if we believe in Jesus and what he did on the cross, will go to heaven for free. And that's why Christ died. We don't need to be worried about our eternal fate. Am I going to make it? Am I not going to make it? Did he make it? Do you believe that he made it? Then you've made it. But realize that death brings life. It took his death and his resurrection for you and I to live. We don't need to die again. We don't need to be punished. And that's why I think verse 11 says, therefore, because of all this that we've just talked about, being sober, the end times coming, he says, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. He's saying these things... He says it multiple times in Thessalonians, which is uh, impressive, I think, that he keeps saying comfort one another. It's almost, I didn't know what to keep naming the messages because it was comfort, 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 comfort. These things should be a comfort to us. Christ died. He took judgment of God. And we don't have to go through the end times. And we can not walk around with our heads in the sand or our heads cut off. We can walk around knowing what's right from wrong. We can go to the Bible. We can go to God and say, My life, God, would you clear it up? And he will. And again, that's why we need to comfort each other. We need to turn to each other when we're going through hard times. Remind each other that Jesus is coming. Remind each other of what the Bible says. Remind each other of what God has done in each of our lives, present, past, and future. But we also need to edify one another. And that word edify is to build up. If we see something lacking in our friends' lives, we need to help them build that up. You know, just like when Nehemiah is rebuilding the wall and all the people come out, there's people, and one hand they have their sword, and the other hand they have a brick. Sword and brick, because the enemy's all around them. Sword and brick, sword and brick, sword and brick, day and night. You and me need to be the same way, with the Bible in one hand and building each other up in the other hand. Oh, the enemy's coming. I'm going to pray for you. Oh, enemy's coming. Pray for me. Oh, yeah, God is true. I'm getting discouraged. This work is hard. Let's encourage each other. Let's build each other up because we're the church. If this building falls apart, which it will one day, are we going to fall apart? As a body, are we going to fall apart? Let's say we all had to leave this church right now. The landlord came in right now and kicked us all out, which he's not going to do, I don't think. I don't know. Did you guys lock the front doors? But (laughs) if they did, or even worse, if they came in with guns and hoods, would we run for the hills or would we stand together and say, no, I love you and I love Jesus. And maybe I could have gotten away, but I'm willing to die with you. I don't know that I can say that, but I think these things are realistic things that we need to check our hearts with from time to time. Are we coming here? Why are we coming here? But he says, just as you also are doing, and, and the best part about sharing these messages with you guys is that I know you're already doing this. I know you're already in the Word together. I know you're already praying together. I see your Facebook posts. I see you guys after service. I hear about goes, what goes on in the week. We need to keep doing that. We need to keep doing that. Not for any other reason to do it. Oh, we need to patch each other up and we got to do something. But really, He did it for us. This should always be our motivation, guys. It should never be this building. It should never be the man up here or the person next to you. And not this little wooden cross that's beautiful that someone put together. But Jesus Christ and His sacrifice should always be our motivation to comfort one another and to edify one another. Amen? Father, we thank You for Your grace. And we thank you, God, that, Lord, you took judgment from us on the cross. And, God, if there's anyone in here who hasn't yet received that forgiveness, God, I pray that now would be the time that, God, that they would uh, stand and that they would pray this prayer with me. Father, forgive me for my sin. Make me new. Would you change my heart and my mind help me to walk with you? I believe you're God and that you took everything from me. In Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that if anyone prayed that prayer or wants to pray that prayer, that you'd be with them and provide opportunities for them to pray. But God, for the rest of us who have prayed that prayer in some form or another at one point in our lives, God, would you help us to keep loving you for your sake? Keep loving others for your sake. And God, would you be with the persecuted church today? Would you be with those brothers and sisters who are losing everything? Would you give them the strength to edify in each other and comfort each other in the words? Would you remind them of the scripture? And God, would you provide for all their needs? And Lord, if that day comes for us to face those things, would you give us the strength to do so? But Lord, if, if we have it fairly easy for the rest of our lives, would you help us to remember those who, God, you've appointed for different things than us? And would you help us to pray for them always? And God, would you return soon, even better? Just return and get us all. And let us be ready. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Enjoy, hopefully, a beautiful afternoon out there.